Talk Recorded live. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, yeah, <laughs> Pastor Eli James here, and this is the final section of our six-part program for our uh, Jubilee Feast this year uh, to learn the law of Yahweh and the uh, you know, what we're supposed to do as Israelites, as a people, as a nation, as a community, as family members, uh, and, uh, you know, to rebuild the kingdom that, uh, we have been losing very quickly. Uh, America is really the most blessed nation on the face of the earth. We have, uh, had untold blessings of, uh, of, of farming, of technology, of, uh, you know, art, entertainment, you name it. America has has had it more than any other nation on the face of the earth, and it's because this country was founded as a Christian nation. In fact, America is the only Christian republic ever, uh, you know, fully established. There have been, you know, hints of it in Britain and, uh, and in Germany, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But America was founded as a Christian nation. Uh, I'm gonna before I turn it over to Bill uh, and Jeremy, I just want to quote. Uh, from a document by John Adams composed on March 23, or actually issued on March 23, and because this is the spirit on which our country was founded. As the safety and prosperity of nations ultimately and essentially depends on the protection and the blessing of Almighty God, and the national acknowledgement of truth is not only an indispensable duty which the people owe to him, but a duty whose natural influence is favorable to the promotion of that morality and piety without which social happiness cannot exist, nor the blessings of a free government be enjoyed. And as this duty at all times incumbent is so, especially in the seasons of difficulty or danger, when existing or threatening calamities, the just judgment of God against prevalent iniquities are a loud call to repent and reform. And as the United States of America are at present placed in a hazardous and afflictive situation by the unfriendly disposition, conduct, and demands of a foreign power, because our country was still deeply in debt in these days, and being threatened by England again, which eventually happened in the War of 1812, evidenced by repeated refusals to receive our messengers of reconciliation and peace, by depredations on our commerce, and the infliction of injuries on very many of our fellow citizens, while engaged on their lawful business on the seas, it has happened to me that the duty of imploring the mercy and benediction of heaven on our country demands at this time a special attention from its inhabitants. I would say, Pastor Jeremy Visser, I'm inclined to start calling you Pastor Fink, if you don't mind. (laughs) This is the spirit in which our country was founded, and these words are just as true today as they were in 1798. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Bill, and have a good show. Thank you. Okay. Absolutely. I I sincerely believe that that there is no doubt that this country wasn't founded as an entirely Christian nation and that the founding fathers, when they wrote the the Constitution, simply felt that they didn't need to include that. It was only common sense. All the state constitutions make it, absolutely clear that America was founded as a Christian nation. I didn't, the topic of tonight's program is repentance, and I did not prepare for this program, um, leaning heavily on Pastor Visser with all of the preparation I had for um, 
the the previous two programs. So, Pastor Mr. I'll just turn it over to you. Well, it's quite a bit to talk about as far as repentance and forgiveness is, you know, concerned. I notice that as far as today has been concerned, it's been a great event as far as every single speaker that's been on today has been absolutely great. And, you know, you have to give big props to Pastor Eli James for actually putting this event together, which I think is interesting. But America is undoubtedly has been founded as a Christian nation from its inception, as far as you were saying, as far as the Constitution. I believe that also it went without saying, and it's kind of ironic in this latter apostasy how many people, you know, will quote from that as far as all men are created equal, and they'll quote that verbatim from the Constitution as if it's Scripture, you know, which I think is kind of interesting. But in the very first segment, you know, when uh, Pastor Eli had on George, uh, Pastor George, they were discussing the Lord's Prayer. And I noticed that in the Lord's Prayer, you know, there's more or less a provision for the Jubilee, too, which is where he says, forgive, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who debt, you know, against us or forgive us our trespasses. Well, right. And it's absolutely the word is debts in the Greek. And, oh, and, okay. And at least one, I believe it's in Luke, I can assure you that it's debts in the Greek, because I was looking at it the other night. In the other in the other sections, I would have to check the Greek. Uh, well, what, what I was thinking about was, you know, if Adam-man is created in God's image, then the fact that Adam-man is truly the only one who can be repentant, if you think about it in this context, because, you know, most people in Christian identity are familiar with Second Chronicles, Chapter 7, verse 14, which says, If my people, which are called by my name, will turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive them their trespasses and heal their land. But one thing I was thinking about is where it states, If my people, which puts the condition right at the beginning. Absolutely. And so a lot of people, you know, when they discuss this verse or this passage, they'll go on and on about how we need to have national repentance. National repentance. And it got me to thinking that, America, at least, in its current state of mongolization, pretty much that's an improbability because, again, nation is supposed to be representative of a racial group of people within that nation, if my people, which are called by my name. So it always has to begin at a personal level, repentance, that is. And what I was thinking was, as far as repentance is concerned, Adam-man being created in the image of God. The reason Adam-man, or the sons of God, are the only ones who can truly be repentant is because they're created in that image. Because it was also Yahweh God who was repentant several times in the Old Testament. It repented Yahweh God to have created man, you know, in the initial state. It repented Yahweh God to uh, have brought evil upon the children of Israel in Egypt. So as far as that's concerned, again, it comes back to us, you know, the Israelite stock, to actually turn from our wicked ways, which, of course, has been pointed out in this program, that all sin is a transgression of the law. And so the importance always comes back to the law because that's what Jesus Christ taught. Which I think is kind of interesting because in this latter apostasy, everything's flipped around. The majority of your, your uh, Judeo-Christians believe that the Pharisees were the law keepers, and Jesus Christ came to do away with that law. But in reality, Jesus Christ continually, you know, would rebuke them, telling them that it's written, it's written, or you do err not understanding the scriptures, because the, her the Pharisee was a hypocrite, you know, which I thought was, which most people are aware of within Christian identity, because, again, the key comes back to each individual. We're supposed to study to show ourselves approved. And, you know, so that condition in Second Chronicles has been covered, you know, a lot in Christian identity. 
But at least that's my take on it as far as Yahweh God being repentant at several times, creating man in his image, which is why the true Israelites today are the only ones who can truly be repentant first and foremost, which is probably one of the hardest things for man to do is to admit error or admit he's wrong when he's wrong. And what I believe happens is a lot of these unrepentant sinners start seeking to justify themselves within the word of God as opposed to simply admitting their own fault, which, of course, is the first key. You know, Christ taught they that are whole have no need of a physician. So there's this pharisaical mindset, which is mostly within Judeo-Christianity, naturally, because it's more Judaized than Christian these days. So I think it's kind of interesting because our, on a political level, our, our problems could be solved. And as a nation, we, if we as Israelites would turn from our wicked ways and acknowledge the things like many of us are trying to do right now, which expose usury, expose these violations of God's law, God would heal us and we could again be prosperous like this country was in its very inception. Because it's pretty much undeniable that a majority of the forefathers, at least here in America, you know, had a Bible in one hand and a shotgun in the other. And, That's they, right. and, and Alexander von Humboldt wrote 150 years ago that America's goodness comes from her churches. Yeah. Comes from her, Christi- from her Christian beliefs and Christian foundation. Goodness can't come from, from, from television and Judaism. <laughs> it's just not, not possible. <laughs> especially not in this area. And if you think about it, I believe television or the media are in general is one of the strongest weapons Satan has in his arsenal or at his disposal right now. Because through the media, they're able to manipulate history. And you can even see it in the last 10 years with 9-11 and all these other facts. Another thing that I think is kind of interesting is we should be repentant for, you know, I think the last estimate was 3,000-some-odd abortions in this country per day. And, you know, Scripture straightforwardly forbids infanticide. But that's another thing, as long as our people continue engaging in that, which, you know, is another form of blood label, if you think about it. You know, it's murder. And these are these are the reasons why I continually preach that, you know, in Revelation 22, outside the gate or whosoever loveth to make the lie, the liars, the infeminate, the hypocrites, and so forth, is because in Revelation it confirms what the law said in the very beginning, which is that God cannot change. God's law is true. Every man is a liar, you know. And we in Christian identity recognize that because we understand that there's a many-member body of Christ, you know, that church per se, isn't necessarily in a building, because in the buildings, nine times out of ten, they teach the tradition of the elders, which is Judaism. And so a lot of these Judeo-Christians in the land will go on and on and on about things. They'll, they'll quote Proverbs from Dr. Timothy Leary or Charles Manson as if it is scripture, which I believe is one of the single greatest causes of atheism in the world today, because people are not even really truly being fed by those who believe it. And so you consider that, you know, Satan's considered the prince of this world, you know, then naturally Satan's preachers are preaching to their own. And Scripture confirms that as well, you know, how people will heap up pastors according to their own heart that will tickle them and tell them exactly what they want to hear. So in essence, what you have are the reprobate who don't like to retain gods in their knowledge, heaping up reprobate pastors that are all together as reprobate as they are, and Ironically, like Second Peter says, these are the these are the people, the false prophets, by way the way of truth is re- evil spoken of. Thus, we, the true genuine Christians, become seen as you know, and whatever tagline they want to give us, racist or fanatical or whatever. But you know, it says in First John chapter one verse nine that if we're faithful 
and confess our sins to Yahweh God, he is faithful and just to forgive them. And once again, it comes back to how repentance, first and foremost, and forgiveness, because we have to forgive our brother, first and foremost. And ironically, within Christian identity, there's a lot of cliques and cults that, you know, they'll take one particular dogma or one particular, you know, doctrine that they want to center their whole ministry around, and ironically, they'll subjugate themselves off from uh, the rest of Christian identity. And if I'm not mistaken, maybe you can correct me on this, doesn't the word Pharisee or Pharisaeus in Greek mean a separatist? Yes, it does. Exactly. It, it, and it, it actually probably, it probably historically started as a good sect, I have to say, because it started, according to Josephus, just before the time that the Edomites were brought into the kingdom. So, so I imagine that because somebody had to start a sect of separatists, it probably meant racial separatists, that they did not want, you know, because of the existence. You yeah. know, like, we, like we, um, we start separatist groups today, trying to keep ourselves separate from the aliens. I, I somehow think, I can't prove it, but just by those circumstances, that that's probably how the Pharisees started, and later they were corrupted, like today's Republicans. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there's no difference between the Republicans and the Democrats now. They're all cut from the same cloth, which you know has been you know amply pointed out that a lot of these things, as far as we speak of the Jew in a proverbial sense, or as a collective, or we speak of these you know political leaders that we have. But again, they're not necessarily the problem. They're because we didn't turn from our wicked ways. We didn't repent. And now God is keeping his promise. And in a lot of ways, if you think about it, it's exciting. I've noticed within the last 10 years, there's a huge increase within, you know, what we're preaching. And I believe it's because a lot of people who were laughing 10 years ago were laughing, saying, oh, there could never be a Negro president. There could never be this or that. And they're not laughing anymore. So Obama, in a way, has turned out to be one of our greatest recruiters. I've noticed that there's a big influx in Christian identity because people are awakening and that's a sign of the end times. It's something I've pointed out before as well. It says in the end times knowledge will increase but an increase is usually adding to what is already there, what substance God has already blessed you with. And so there's a lot of these clicks that say, well in the end times knowledge increases, therefore there's no devil or therefore you don't need to do this or this and that. You know, a lot of them end up turning into these pharisaical clicks that will justify themselves within the scripture. You know, in the scripture, it's always been, as far as my studies, I've always noticed that the covenant is the law, and the covenant has always been conditional. And, you know, as I pointed out, Second Chronicles says, if my people were called by my name will repent, but that was always a condition, because we can read in Leviticus chapter 27, beginning in, no, 26, beginning in verse 40, it says, speaking of Israel, Yahweh speaking, if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised be heart, hearts be humbled, and, and they then accept the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land." So it's almost verbatim exactly what's said in Second Chronicles, that, again, repentance is always the first step, which I believe man cannot do because, you know, if you're born of the world, you're born of Satan. Well, that's the way of Satan to be lifted up in his heart or desire to be God. And so within Christian identity, especially, there's a lot of these sects that want to judge their own kinsfolk when they should be more concerned with, you know, the splinter that's in their eye instead of the, 
or the splinter that's in, you know, their the beam that's in their eye as opposed mm-hmm. to the splinter that's in their, their neighbors. But, you know, they're, they're busybodies and they dilly-dally because, you know, that's just how it goes. But, again, we, you know, I, I'm really impressed with what you guys have going because you're able to actually pull these types of events together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great because, you know, we should focus on doctrine. We're supposed to reason together. We're supposed to be like the faithful Bereans. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't. They, you know, they want to attack us. And when they can't, you know, when they can't attack the message, they can't attack the word of God, then they turn and attack us. Yeah, Pastor Vister, uh, as far as you know, one of the major drawbacks that we in identity have is the doctrine of dispensationalism, which by which the average Judeo-Christian believes that the Jews are the people of the Old Testament, and they obviously rejected the Messiah. You know, yeah. There's no doubt. And then they use that, the Jewish rejection of the Messiah, as an excuse to substitute their spiritual Israel for true Israel. Okay, What, uh, what if any truth is in that doctrine? And, uh, you know, and to me, obviously, it's false. Uh, you know, how how do we best counteract that doctrine that uh, that's called dispensationalism? As far as you know, the only answer I can give is 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 the same answer I give when people say, you know, I can prove God the Jews are God's chosen. Is where is it in the Scripture? You know, the spiritual Israel. I've never seen that, and we in CI know that as far. as I've heard you guys preach on it as well. James written, wrote his epistles to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad. First two re- books of Revelation are the tribes that are sealed and foreordained. The spiritual Israel, yeah, the whole dispensationalism is ludicrous and foreign to the Word of God. And, as, you know, as far as I know, I don't know where it comes from outside of the hearts of men. Because I sit back and I often wonder, you know, a lot of these milk toast Christians, they go around and they say, oh, I'm Christian this, I'm Christian that. Well, they must have never read Jesus Christ who said he came only for the lost sheep of the house or race of Israel and instructed his, his disciples to do the same exact thing. So if they understand that Christ would say that, then they should also understand at the same time Christ obviously didn't come for them because he only came for that group of, of Israelites. So you have these milk-toast Judeo-Christians who sit around and they say, well, the Jews are God's chosen. To me, it's the same thing as Esau giving away his birthright because he doesn't desire to contend for that birthright. But the whole spiritual Israel thing, it makes absolutely no sense to me because, you know, it's like the misuse of the words everybody all and so forth. It says every knee will bow or, or any tribes, nations, and tongues. A lot of these people get so spun off. Well, there it is right there. There's universalism in the scripture, but they're not understanding that, you know, the Old Testament is written for the book of the generations or race of Adam, and the New Testament is written for the generations of Jesus Christ, which is the same stock of Israel. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, the, it's it's very difficult to teach or introduce new people to the truth of Christian identity for several reasons, the biggest being that they have to wrap their minds around a lot of different new novel concepts at the same time. For instance, when you teach them that we we need the Old Testament, you have to show them all the passages and prove to them so that they see it clearly that the New Testament is an extension of the Old Testament and, and that it's to the same people. And once we get to the point where it's to the same people, you have to prove and show to them the prophecy and the history, which shows that we descended from those people, and the Jews didn't, 
And then you have to show them that prophecy. I mean, it's, it's a lot of different concepts at the same time. And, and when we talk about repentance, we have to overcome the antinomianism of Paul. And that, well, that they derive from Paul wrongly. And, and there's a lot of different things that, that have to be proven all at one time before a person could even start to understand that. And most people, it, it takes a lot for them to understand, you know, three or four novel concepts that are very major in, in Scripture that, that all have to be taught at the same time in order to convince some person of the truth. It's hard to hold their attention for that long. <laughs> That's true. And I've also noticed as many times as I've pointed out that Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, that until heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle will pass from the law of God. They'll come along and they'll do like Pastor Eli was saying and spiritualize it. Well, that's a different law. That's the law of love. That's the law of this or that. But then you ask them, well, what about the Old Testament prophets? I'm amazed that a lot of these Judeo-Christians honestly believe that Christ fulfilled like the entire Old Testament, when in reality only fulfilled about 20 to 30 percent of the prophecies that are in there. You know, and you guys know as well as I do, Obadiah speaks, these are all latter time prophecies. And I think that's one of the biggest things. Satan's considered the lawless one, so his biggest M.O. is to get people to stop following the law. Right, and a great number of those prophecies won't be fulfilled until his second return. Absolutely. The destruction of the enemy, the restoration of, of the children. That that's that's all second advent. That's all unfinished business. Absolutely, and they get these people, you know, a majority of these people in Judeo Christian churches. You know, I've realized, you know, I thought for years and years that these were quote unquote New Testament Christians, but then I started realizing that there's of course there's no no such thing as a New Testament Christian, but these aren't even any testament Christians. A majority of these people, you know, they they don't even understand the New Testament, because you know as well as I do, you can't understand the New without understanding the Old. And as many times as Jesus Christ quoted Scripture, like when he quote Isaiah and say, well, did Isaiah prophesy of a certain group of people, normally the Pharisees that he called hypocrites, he'd say that, you know, you have eyes, you have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears that you don't, but you can't hear. And that's why I believe that within Christian identity, there's a lot of people worrying about, you know, people stealing members of their flock or they're worried about titles and positions. When in reality, man is going to pretty much erect or follow what's in their heart in the first place. So they're going to seek out their own, like Jesus Christ taught, you know, my sheep hear my voice and they'll follow. And moreover, they won't follow the voice of a stranger. And, you know, these that follow the voice of a stranger, it's kind of ironic because they're finding out real quick with under Obama's regime that, you know, it's not quite so funny anymore. And Obama, as far as I'm concerned, has been one of the most hated, the quickest hated presidents. You know, most of these presidents are hated towards the end, end of their uh, presidency. But, you know, there's so many things going on in the world right now. I went for a ride. I went for a ride last weekend during the day. I don't leave the house much, to be honest with you. And and I work at home, and and I went for a ride on Saturday, and I'm in upstate New York, and this is Democrat liberal land, 100 percent, and there was a whole block full of people with signs that said deport Obama. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Uh, in upstate New York, I couldn't believe it. it. It was an incredible thing to me. It's it's a um a site I would expect to see on the news from Iowa, or from Georgia, or from Texas, not upstate New York. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe. It. I thought it was great. And I think it's I, I think it's great also that a lot of the Negroes are are waking up and getting upset too because they considered Obama to be like their great black messiah or whatever. And Obama's not paid for yet. 
Yeah, and as Obama became president, he's like, look, now you're going to have to work. You're going to have to work a job. No more government check. And now they hate them. (laughs) They still have rent. Yeah. They still have mortgages. They expected to be done with all that. They expected the white man's property by now. Exactly. And, and, you know, it always goes back to Yahweh's word because it was Yahweh who said, you know, if we allow the stranger, you know, to go higher and higher, we'll become the tail and they'll become the head. And that, that time is upon us right now. And it's kind of ironic because... Again, a lot of people are waking up, but I, this country's never going to be the same. I don't think once we release our sovereignty, at least scripturally, we ever really get it back, unless you get, you know, a prophet raised up from God who will get them back to the Word of God. Because right. Well, yeah. well, if our people would repent of their sin, Yahweh would would heal them. I mean, that's the you would quoted Leviticus chapter twenty six, and and both both sections are pertinent. And and it's also in Deuteronomy chapter 28. They're the blessings of obedience and disobedience. They still stand today. If we're obedient, this is going to happen. And a lot of it's just cause and effect. I mean, when when we're a moral, upright people, things happen in our favor, and, and it's just an effect of our uprightness. It's It's just, if we're an immoral people, things happen that are bad, and that's an effect of our immorality. It's, I, I mean, a lot of it's just cause and effect, and, and Yahweh pulling himself back from us to allow Satan through the Negroes and the, and, and the Latinos and all the other, and the Jews to, 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 um, to have his way with us, because that's all we deserve. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you could even go back in time and bring any of these preachers, you know, preachers or presidents back from even 50 years ago and show them the state of the world today, I think they'd be in in shock because the majority of what's considered commonplace today, especially through the media, is, you know, is so far apostate in times past. We live in a society now where they can't even sell Kraft macaroni and cheese without a multicultural ad campaign. And they can't sell ice cream without it having sexual connotations. So it's it's just amazing the level of debauchery that we've gone to. And it kind of sheds light on when Jesus Christ says, you know, if you go into a particular city and that city won't hear you, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony, and it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than it will be for that city. Because, you know, like it's been pointed out, I don't think Sodom and Gomorrah actually practiced lesbian marriage or or infanticide at the level of 3,000 infants a day. So, I mean, I believe personally that, you know, we're living in that great apostasy and there is an abomination or that collective hold, the man of sin, you know, and that's what I think is great about it. It's, it's, It's exciting times for us, and it's as you pointed out, if we do it God's way, if we do according to his law and we don't defraud our kinsfolk and we work together and reason together, we'll be greatly blessed especially on a personal level, because God always promised that. We'd be blessed in this life, and if we sort up treasures in heaven, we'd have treasures in heaven, you know, in the next life or the world to come. So it's kind of interesting how we live in an unrepentant era. Here in Georgia, like two years ago, it was a great drought, you know, and there's all this pestilence going on. So the governor decided he was going to have a big prayer meeting, and he got together, you know, it's like a multicultural rainbow coalition downtown, you know, here in Atlanta, and they're praying for rain. And the irony behind it is it's it's a bunch of Judeo-Christians, but the majority of Atlanta were down there throwing rocks at them. Christianity is a dying religion. And so you realize that the enemy is playing both sides of the fence as it is by setting up these sock puppets and these straw man arguments as far as what Christianity is supposed to be. 
you know, their liberal interpretation of Jesus Christ being a wimp and loving everybody and letting people walk all over you. I mean, if that were true, Christianity wouldn't have survived, I wouldn't say, a hundred years after, you know, the ascension of Christ, because we would have been wiped out. We were always a warrior people. And in this day and age, the biggest question I have is, there, you know, where are the pastors? The pastors aren't out protesting gay marriage, the majority of them. They're not out there protesting the vices and the sin and the things that are going on in this world. And so it falls to Christian identity. So surely we're in those end times when, when the truth is evil spoken of. You go and you quote them time and time again in the, in the Word of God, that Jesus Christ, if anything, strengthened the law of Moses. And then they'll call you a Pharisee. Because it's complete, diametrically opposed. It's the exact opposite of Christianity, or at least Judaism is. Well, absolutely. And Judeo-Christian is the is, is Judeo-Christianity is is Judaism in disguise. It's um I'd I'd like to give my um my own spin on a New Testament passage, and and that's Revelation chapter nine verses twenty and twenty one, and and a lot of people in Judeo-Christianity will never see this. Until they suffer, and and repentance comes with people that you're talking, the people that you're talking about. Repentance only comes with suffering, and and they have to realize that they've been doing something terribly wrong, and they have to change. And and I'm gonna, I'd like to read this, Revelation 9:20, and the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils, television, and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone, consumerism. Neither they repented of their murders, of which abortion is one type, nor of, and, and birth control is murder also, nor of their sorceries, which is pharmacia, which is drugs, nor of their fornication, which is race mixing and illicit sex, like homosexuality, nor of their thefts. And and this explains that this describes everything going on in the world today. And and you write about the abortion being a horrible thing, and abortion is actually still the Old Testament scourge of worshiping our children, uh, of of sacrificing our children to Moloch. Yeah. And the, the abortion doctors, being mostly Jewish, they are the descendants of the Canaanite priests of Moloch. It's the same people doing the same thing with with different uh, with a modern appearance four thousand years later. That's exactly what it is. And 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 somebody in the forum said that Revelations nine sounds like the seven sins of Canaan, and it it's the same old story all over again. It's the same repetition, and exactly history repeats itself exactly. It's incredible, and people don't wake up and see it. Yeah, and that's the amazing part as far as it's concerned when discussing Judeo-Christians because, you know, obviously Scripture straightforwardly says the Jews killed Christ. They're contrary to all men. And, you know, obviously a half-hearted study into their own words or their own teachings, one can find that the tradition of the elders or, the you know, the Pharisees are descended from the Edomites and that these are the same people Christ came against. And Christ was the original Protestant, you know. If you think about it, because he was protesting that world order, and a majority of them have been hoodwinked into this belief that you know all we got to do is sit back and you know a majority of it God will sort it out. But there's still you know there's conditions, and a covenant is a promise, it's a conditional promise. And so it goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's, you know, there's several points that you have to point out to them. 
But I've noticed as, as well that a lot of times, you know, it doesn't really matter how much, you know, scripture you give to them because a lot of them will just revert back and say, well, the Pope says this or, you know, the word of God is not meant to be taken literally. It's like the pork issue. They'll come along and they'll say, well, you can eat pork now because man invented a refrigerator. And in essence, they're making man wiser than God who cannot change because, you know, God knows what's best for us. And I think it's truly the fool who believes he has his own destiny in his own hand. If you think about it, Christ taught that, you know, you can't add a minute to your life through worry. And these guys go around and, you know, they hardly worry about anything. So it's kind of interesting how it works out. Right. Those guys, I mean, there's a famous poem, and I'm trying to remember it right now, and I, and I can't. And it ends with the line, I am the captain of my soul. And, and that's a lie. Because Yahshua Christ is the bishop of our souls, as Peter tells us. And as Paul tells us correctly, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. Yeah. And because of that, we, we have to understand that we should be obedient to our master. Yeah, exactly. And it's the way of man to come along and say, well, everyone has a right to, you know, has a right to life. You know, all life is, is sacred when in reality it's not because God, like you pointed out, you know, you're bought and sold with a price. Therefore, you know, action, obedience, and works are required of the believer. And Christ taught that. You know, he'd always say, you know, whosoever doesn't deny mother or father or pick up his cross or whatever it is isn't worthy to be my disciple. There had to be a sacrifice involved in the first place, which usually symbolized dying to the world, like picking up the cross. But a majority of people, I think, want to border on that gray area and serve, you know, both God and mammon, which Christ said you can't do. And, you know, I don't know how many times Christ taught repentance. It was John the Baptist was preaching in the River Jordan was repentance and repentance for the sins or, you know, our, our transgressions against the law. Because John and Christ and these people, you know, a lot of these people in the New Testament, the latter apostles, they never really taught a new way. And that's what I'm, I keep looking for in the New Testament. Because, you know, you go back to John 8, and I noticed you were, you were commenting on John 8 earlier, but like the woman taken in adultery, where they say, well, you know, Moses says in the law, you can put away your wife for any cause. What say you? And he says, well, you know, and he strengthened it. And I say, unless, you know, for the cause of fornication or pornea. And now that kind of goes back to what I was saying. Now we live in a, an over, overtly porn, pornographized society, you know, where everything centers around that. You could turn it on, you know, Cartoon Network, and it's just shameful in a lot of ways. And I'm amazed at how apostate we've become in the last 20 years, because I consider myself young being in my mid-30s. And it just, you know, in the 20 years, 25 years of my adult life, I've seen the world completely turned upside down on its axes, to where now the Christian is seen as the fanatic, even the Judeo-Christian. And, and meanwhile, the enemies can boast in Time Life magazine on America Online or where, whatever you know, facet of media they control that Christianity is a dying religion. And so a lot of these antinomians, they hate the law, they hate the law. My question is, is what in the law is so bad or amoral? Because they must want to steal from their brother or kill or adulterate or serve other gods or break the Sabbath or whatever the law is. But, oh, yeah, the law is done away with. I like how uh, I think it was uh, weekly pointed out that uh, you point that out to them, the law is done away with. Well, why are they still charging tithe? Why are they still teaching on tithing? You know, and a majority of these Judeo-Christians who will teach on tithing never mention usury, which is, like you pointed out, an un unfortunate side effect of the world that we live in now. But usury, no matter how you cut it, and people will come along and say, well, usury meant something entirely different back then, like they try to say about pork. It means the same exact thing that it means now. 
Well, and, well, that's why I, I, I actually, it's the the definition of usury has been very diluted to mean by most state laws interest over a certain amount that they predetermine. But you know, my that's why my own forte, I think, is putting things in historical perspective. Usury is the loaning of money at interest, period. Yeah. Or the loaning of anything at interest. Uh, you know, with with any fee above what the initial value was. That's usury. Absolutely. If, if I give you $10, well, first, as a Christian, and you being my brother, I shouldn't expect it back. But if I do, because Yahshua Christ did respect property rights and left it to the individual to make the decision... If I do expect it back, I cannot expect more than $10 back ever under any circumstance because that's usury. If you tried to give me $10 and said, here, Bill, here's an extra buck for doing me the fair, I don't want it. And and it's unchristian of me to take it, man. Yeah, absolutely. You think of the very concept of usury. You know, I think it was Christ who said borrower servant to the lender. And, you know, if you consider that, that's exactly how they've enslaved the majority of the world today is through usury. Because if there's only 10 eggs in the world, to, you know, as, a, as an example, and I give those 10 eggs away but expect 11 in return, well, you, they can't ever achieve that 11th egg. And thus, they be, you know, the borrower becomes servant to the lender. And no matter how you do it, you know, you can never really get out of usury. And that's what's important about the Jubilee. It's because God's law does express that and that there's a freedom of debt and there's a release of, of the captives and so forth. But it's not the way the enemy to ever do that. The enemy wants to keep people locked in a state of sin because they profit on the sins. It's, you know, with their, you know, I think Pastor Eli was pointing out how many laws they come, a, come and create year in and year out. And they're laws that aren't even, like he was saying, when you're going and you, you turn in a, in a lane. A lot of people don't recognize, I mean, this is straight up communism now there's talk on the board where they're saying that you're going to have to get a a state permit to travel like a traveling permit i mean that's insane now they're talking about also the swine flu virus they're talking about making it mandatory in the uh public airports so if you go to lax and can't prove that you've been inoculated you're not going to be able to get on that plane and whether these laws pass or not again it comes back to us you know it's better to obey Yahweh than man, because man will invent a hundred million laws, and in the end, they don't practice them themselves. They're the perfect hypocrites, perfect Pharisees. I, I think that the best thing that we could do, and 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 the easiest, the first thing to repent from is Babylon. Stop going to their movies. Stop giving them money for sporting events. Stop buying their records. Stop buying their alcohol if, if you stop doing all that thing all, all those things it, you'll go a long way into pulling the system down yeah. because you're not contributing to all of the of the chick tricks and cheats of the jews which is hollywood and nashville and and all that garbage that they spew and make tons of money on we by doing that, we are enabling the Jews. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when Peter says, you know, in his epistles, to be not deceived, that makes it a commandment. And I think a lot of people are that way. They, they'll never admit that they're deceived, first and foremost. And then when they find out they're deceived, this is where a lot of the splinter groups come in CI. is because 
as opposed to admit they were wrong or taught wrong, they'll go out and they'll create their own little clique and start, you know, justifying whatever abomination it is that's in their heart. But it's absolutely right, and, I, and it goes back to kind of what I was saying, is because through the media, you know, a lot of people in CI, they, they believe that they're strong enough, yeah, I'm wise enough, I'm strong enough within the Word of God, but they don't understand the level of the manipulation through the media. It's through the media, majority of these Holocaust myths are propagated on us. It's how they pervert the image of Jesus Christ. It's how they, you know, and if you think about this as well, this is something I've been thinking about. Usually in times of extreme war, like World War II and like, you know, Korean War and stuff, after a while, after a few years, the at least here in America, suddenly there's a shift in the uh, in society as a whole to where they don't care anymore about the war. Same thing happened in Vietnam. And then all of a sudden there's an influx of musicals. And if you turn on the television today, you'll notice that almost every single show is a musical. You know, you think you can dance, you can do this, and almost all of them are race mix, pro race mixing or, or pro you know promiscuity at their content. And you turn on the news, and nine times out of ten they're discussing Britney Spears or the American Idol winner or whoever it is. And there's never hardly any mention of this war that's going on that that Christian whites, you know, and Negroes for that matter, are over there dying for the sake of the Christ killer. And somehow or another, they justify it within themselves, believing they're Judeo-Christian. Well, there's no higher an honor to die for the Jew, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because they always point out six million this, six million that. They always point out the, you know, World War II, but they never mention Dresden. They never mention how many people have been killed through their vaccines or through a real Right. And, and it's, you know, it's not without, um, it's not in vain that David wrote and Paul quoted the, the psalm, all day like sheep, we are killed to, to the slaughter. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's exactly what's been going on for 5,000 years. And it's through the failure of our own fathers to do what they were supposed to do back in the days of Joshua. Absolutely. Which, I mean, Yahweh foresaw, but he gave us the choice to do it or not, and we didn't do it, so here we are. And, and that's recognizing the failures of our ancestors and our own failures every day, uh, that's a huge part of repentance. Yeah. And and that's a huge, you know, recognizing our own shortcomings and the error and the sin that we live in, not only personally but as a nation, that's a huge part of repentance. And and the, the Judeo-Christians who, who think that they're saved because they went to church last week and the, the pastor told them they were saved, that they're self-righteous and they're self-justified. Yeah, absolutely. And they they think they're so lifted up in their heart that, they, you know, they're so high and mighty, they accepted Jesus Christ. It's like, you know, the bigger question is, is what if Jesus Christ, you know, has he accepted you or not? The majority of these people act like they're doing God some great service. You know, and on the tail end of what you're saying, you know, in First John chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not, if un, not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Well, I uh, believe the sin unto death is race mixing. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's kind of what I was going back to, is we know in the law there were certain laws. There were, there were quite a few of the laws that were sins unto death. You know, and homosexuality, for example, their blood was upon their own head. And so it goes back to what you were saying. Our forefathers' inability to do what the law says is why we're up to our, you know, eyebrows now in apostate filth. But at the same time, the word of God is true because outside the gate are the, you know, the infeminate and the abusers of themselves with mankind and what have you. 
So, again, you know, it's not about just just because someone's white or someone's an Israelite doesn't necessarily mean that you're supposed to pray for them or forgive them, you know, if they've committed sins unto death as well. Well, right. And and it's in it's in Ezekiel, and it says about a certain city, although Abraham or or Noah and Job were in it, they would not be able to save either wife or children, but they would only save their own souls for their righteousness. Now, if those men can't save their kids, then we can't expect to either. We we have to be um, fortunate enough to save ourselves from sin and and judgment. And, and we, I mean, we could teach our children, but they have to make the, the decision themselves whether or not they're going to be righteous. That's true. Yeah, all we can do is raise them up in the right way and hope for the best, you know, that they won't depart from it. But, you know, it really is. And I believe that's why Christ gave those conditions, you know, that he who loveth mother, father, daughter, or son is not worthy of me, because God has to be your all. Jesus Christ has to be the front line. And the majority of these people... You know, they they wanted to base Jesus Christ down to a level of, of a mere son of God, making him like Satan. They want to say that he did away with the law, making him the lawless one like Satan. You know, they bastardized Jesus Christ down to a level where they say, oh, he's just a good prophet. And in reality, if anything, they're serving a cowardly God because this cowardly God of the Old Testament obviously had to send a son, you know, to do that. And then you ask him, well, why did he die? You know, you ask him, why did he make that sacrifice? Oh, to forgive you of your sins. And then you ask the average Judeo-Christian, well, define what is sin. And they can't do it. They always come back to that blank, you know, stare, and they look at you like, well, what are you talking about? It's the law, and the law is always conditional. If you don't do this, you know, I'll do this. And that's what I think of the beauty is in this latter apostasy, is because, you know, the tares are showing their, their face more and more blatantly every day. And there's a further separation of it. And in this era with the Internet, with web pages and, you know, knowledge being so freely given, pretty much man, in my opinion, man's without excuse now. You're either intellectually dishonest or lazy not to go and find out what people like we preach. Because that's the difference, I think, between a false prophet and a genuine prophet. A genuine prophet is going to say, what does the word of God say, even if it, even if it counters me and I'm wrong. But the false prophet always says, listen to me, what, what do I say, you know. And there's Catholicism in a nutshell. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. The um, I'd like to talk about the, fig, the the budding of the fig tree since you mentioned the Jews being so um, apparent everywhere you look. And, and that's, you know, Christ on his way to Jerusalem cursed a fig tree and it withered. And a short time later, they had walked out of the temple and the apostles said to him, look at these buildings, how beautiful they are. And Christ gave it you know, a, a short discourse about the entire temple being destroyed and indicated it would happen in a rather relatively short time from the time he was speaking. So the apostles asked him several questions. They asked him, when will these things be, meaning of the, of the destruction of the temple, and what is the sign, and, and when will you return, and what is the sign of thy coming? And he answered all three questions at once. And it's really difficult to sort out which part of his answer answers which question. Yeah. However, speaking of the time of the end, he said, remember the fig tree when it shoots forth its branches. And, and this is a fig tree that had withered dead. Well, the Jews were the fig tree that withered dead when the Romans crushed them and they were castigated and excoriated from society by Christians. And that process took a couple of hundred years. However, now 
that fig tree is fully blossoming again, and that process is also taking, you know, quite a few, quite a bit of time to complete. But that's that's why the Jews are evident everywhere, and that's why this is a sign of the times. Yeah, absolutely, like the parable of the good and bad figs, you know, or the abomination sitting where it ought not, you know. That's right. We have several things that can be pointed at with that. <laughs> yeah, as I was going to say, you know, the Constitution clearly says, you know, American presidents to be born of American parents, you know, but that's a side note. Right. O- Obama is definitely an abomination. There's no doubt that he's an abomination. And and another abomination would would um, be if Prince Charles ever takes the British throne. He he's part Edomite blood, and that would be an abomination. Mm-hmm. So him or any of his sons. Uh, Absolutely, I mean, and that's the irony. As you know, my ministry has been going for over a decade. And a mere two months after Obama became president, you know, I'm starting to get visits from federal agents, and, you know, they're turning up the heat out here. And eventually, you know, if they get their way, it's going to become illegal to, you know, even say that homosexuality is, you know, an abomination in the eyes of God, like it is in parts of Germany and Canada. And so they're really turning up the heat. And, you know, that's the beauty of it, I think, is that, you know, as they do it, well, more and more people are getting to where, they're waking up, and I think it's hitting them in their pocketbook. When people start getting hungry and they start losing their homes, their jobs, and they have no way of providing anymore, and they're no longer being blessed in a country that was designed and built for them by the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, that's when they start waking up. And I think our government knows it as well. They're really worried right now that there's these militia groups, and it's funny that they're focusing on their energies on supposed Christians or what have you, when in reality they should be questioning why is the world so upset? Why is it two-thirds of America doesn't, doesn't even believe Obama's a legit president? You know, so they come here and they're asking me, well, who do you think we should be looking at? And I'm like, you know, um, I was tempted to say, yeah, that guy in the White House right now who's justifying all these, you know, I'm not going to get well, into it, but they're focusing know, I, on us. I try to give people some space, and, and I'll tell you why. I, I did 12 years in prison for a federal civil rights charge. Okay. Now, I was in the 90s, in the 80s and the 90s, I had very good employment. I was very successful at my employment. And I'm, I'm not trying to brag. I made seventy-five dollars to $90,000 a year. Right. Every year from maybe 87 or 88 through 95. And I was caught up in all the things of the world. And everything was rosy to me. And then all of a sudden I was in prison. Boom. And I woke up in prison. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it takes. So, it uh, I mean, when you're doing good and there's food on the table and you got $50,000 in credit card bills, but the, the bills get paid every month, you, you don't care about anything. And you don't care about politics. I, I mean, you, you do your little Republican thing, which I was a pretty conservative Republican all my life. And, and, you know, I was a Reagan Republican. Yeah. I turned 18 in 79 and voted for Ronnie in 80. Nice. And, and I thought everything was grand, you know, and that's the way it is. And you get smacked in the head, and, and you, you get some turmoil in your life and, and some oppression, or, or you know, you, you fall down the ladder and hit the basement, and that's when you wake up. And that's what it takes to wake a lot of people up. And that's I'm I'm not saying that I would have woke up under any other circumstances. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think uh, Pastor Jay Faber has a sermon called "Liberal Scourge of God," and he pointed out in that that eventually, you know, hopefully for a majority of these liberals or what have you, 
you know, the best thing is is for them to wake up one day and realize that, you know, it kind of sucks to be a liberal because it points out kind of the hypocrisy of a majority of these people who are pushing the multicultural ad campaigns. You know, most of them live in ivory towers and gated communities and never have to deal with what the, the blue-collar people deal with, you know. When I was going to school in the 80s, they were, they were still forcing integration in the L.A. County schools by gunpoint, more or less, and taking these Negroes from Compton and bringing them out to the Valley or Burbank, you know, just so they could miscegnate and impregnate white women. And I'm like, you know, if something isn't natural, it shouldn't have to be enforced by law. Man's law, right. that is, you know. Well, absolutely. But I grew up in a city that was um, half black and a quarter Hispanic or whatever, and, and we really didn't need to bus anybody anywhere. We were we were flooded with them already. Oh, wow. <laughs> by the time I hit high school, it was over with. Um, yeah, that's when the metal I, detectors came in. and <laughs> I grew up in Jersey City, actually. Oh, wow. And, and I watched the Negroes destroy a beautiful, um, gilded-age city, and and they just destroyed it, I mean, in 10 years. They oh, Absolutely. It. Absolutely. I noticed that in parts of L. Like the very neighborhood I grew up in in Los Angeles, it only took, you know, maybe 10 years for a majority of Hispanics to move in. And they trashed it, brought all the property values down. I went back a couple years ago, and the neighborhood I grew up in is pretty much ghetto now. It's like Pacoima. It's directly, you know, it's Mexican slum. And and they have that propensity everywhere they go. They are like a, a plague. And that's, you know, what I've been trying to point out is God's, God's keeping his word right now. And we're being inundated with strangers. And, you know, when you think about the fact that they didn't even allow, it was technically illegal to have non-white immigration in this country until like the mid to late 60s. Look at how far we've come in 40 years as far as apostasy is concerned. Now we have an Oreo president, a Muslim Oreo president, an Antichrist. It's like, you know, God's keeping his word, and that's where I think the importance and the burden lies at our feet, where it's up to us just to warn them. And if they don't heed it, well, what can you do? At least you and, make them accountable. And he wouldn't be there if at least 40 million white people didn't vote for him. Yeah. At least 40 million white people voted for him. Yeah, and, I, and, you know, what's beautiful about that is that, you know, I think a majority of them are in the north or they're up in, you know, Oregon, Washington, where they don't really have to deal with it. But here in Atlanta and in parts of Detroit, what's happened really quick is the white man has ended up becoming in the lowest demographic of employment. And so a majority of people, at least, you know, my white friends, they're not employed right now because the majority of the jobs are taken up by Negroes. And I have the, my only comfort in that is the wish and the hope that eventually this is going to creep over to places like Seattle and places like, you know, Portland, where it's majority white, and start affecting some of these liberals. Because no matter what we say on the Internet, a lot of them, you know, they still buy into the lie and think Will Smith is a representative of the average Negro, because that's what they see on television. Right. I have to address some people in the forum are asking about vote for, voter fraud, and that is true. But... You don't vote fraud 100 million votes, and there's plenty of people that admitted, white people that admitted voting for him. It's no doubt 40 million white people didn't vote for Obama. And and I'd, I'd like to say that, you know, when, when Bill Clinton ran, the powers that be, it was clear that Bill Clinton, that they wanted him in, because even though with a really shady record, drug running, all kinds of stuff, he got absolutely zero media scrutiny, and the other party ran Bob Dole. 
a total party hack and a loser. And now this time, the same exact pattern was repeated. They run Obama. He gets zero media scrutiny, even if he has a totally shady past, which he does. And they run an old party hack, John McCain, who is a total party hack and a loser. And and (laughs) it's, it's the same pattern. And they don't have to fix the vote, not at that level, because they got the whole party rigged to nominate who they want nominated. Absolutely, and that's what I was going to point out. I actually preached my sermon, Abomination to Desolation, back in April of 08. April of, yeah, it was a while. It was like a year, April of 07. But it was a long ways before Obama, before a majority of the world even knew who Obama was. And in that, I was saying, he'll be the president. He'll be, I mean, you can already tell through the media how they were shaping it and conditioning it. I think one of the biggest things is with the Michael Jackson. You can see with Michael Jackson's death how the media will shape and mold their multicultural image because they'll go to Germany and they'll go to Norway and they'll show all these people mourning over the loss of this sodomite, homosexual, whatever he is, and they'll pan in on the one or two white people who are in the audience. And they do it down here in Georgia. They'll show all these white young guys going out to war here from Fort Benning, Georgia, and the camera will focus in on the two token Negroes as if to give the image that a majority of the people over there fighting are Negroes. Well, of course. And and that's why, you know, I wrote a paper, there is no political solution, and there isn't. And there isn't because both parties are totally compromised. The media is absolutely compromised. The CFR has all these people in their pockets, and they do what they want. So there's no, I mean, any third-party candidate that comes along is because for some reason, the bankers every once in a while want a popular third-party candidate to make it look like we still have a democracy. Yeah, like there's a choice. <laughs> That's true, though. That's true. Because in the end, it, it's really there's no way out except through Yahweh. It's through full obedience and, again, repentance and forgiveness of our own kinsfolk and our own shortcomings and transgressions. Because even within Christian identity, there's a lot of those groups that will sit there and they'll teach world revolution or taking the kingdom by force or believing that somehow or another, you know, they can vote themselves out of this mess. I, I actually am one of the few who brags about the fact that I've never voted for a man-king ever because I've never wanted to vote for a man-king. And, of course, the sentiment I get from that is, oh, well, then you have no right to say anything. And I believe, honestly, the fact that I've never voted for a man-king, in a way, gives me more of a right to express my discontent over, you know, what man-king we may have. You know, well, absolutely, because you never partook in that system. Exactly. And, and, and I think that that probably is to your credit. And I, I, I ruled the day that I got involved in it because, I, I mean, I had nothing but pain in my life for being so immersed into the system. Yeah, and it's exactly what Yahweh says, though, if you think about it. It's like when, you know, Joshua led our forefathers into the land of Canaan. That was one of the warnings. He was like, you're going to come into the land flowing with milk and honey, and what's going to happen is you're going to become fat, blessed of Yahweh God. You're going to have, you know, you're going to procreate. You're going to have lots of children, much cattle. You're going to be blessed, and then you're going to turn from the law. And that's what always seems to happen. You look at even in the 50s here in America, a majority of the world were still – still Christian. A majority of people were still Christian in this country when I graduated high school. And now 20 years later, you know, you go to the Barna Group, you look at the polls and the statistics, and you find out that like 10% of Americans are Christian or profess to be Christians, which means actually, 
you know, 0.001% are law-abiding Christians because the majority of them are Judeo-Christians. And a majority of the Judeo-Christians are sitting there preaching there's no literal devil, there's no sin, there's no accountability, the universal reconciliation of all things, you know. And to me it's kind of ironic because, you know, that shows you in a short amount of time how far apostate we've come in more or less one generation, you know, because there was still somewhat, at least in the 80s, there was a glimpse of innocence left. And now we live in this era where the Internet like a human brain, can be one of the best things for man or one of the worst things for man because the Internet is destroying families, but it's also at the same time, you know, it's giving people access to information. And, and that, I think, is the greatest power we have because a majority of uh, a lot of these Christian identity ministries now are coming up and becoming enterprises of their own and competing with the media at their own game, which at no other time in history I don't think we've had the ease to do. And so we're countering their, you know, miss jewish miss with the truth and the truth of the teaching and that's what the importance is of what you and eli do is you're able to take it back to the early church fathers to the manuscripts to the undeniable and unchangeable word you know and say that this is what it says you don't like it well take it up with god but god's the one who said it and the irony is, is if christ were to come back today he would say exactly what he said in the new testament you know at the first advent and it would be repent. Repent of your sins. Repent of your transgressions. It's the only way God will hear you anyway. And the majority of the world down here would crucify him all over again because he's not tolerant. He's not accepting of, you know, pedophilia or homosexual or whatever the abomination is that they attempt to justify. I just I just counted real quick while you were talking. There were 24 times it says repent in the New Testament. And, and it's always in the context of repenting from your sins, repenting to the kingdom. The word repentance is also in the New Testament a couple of dozen times. And it's always the baptism of repentance, bringing sinners to repentance. And sin, like you said, is violation of the law. And, and, and Revelations 9.20 spells out what we should not be doing. And, and that's the, the, um, all of those are violations of the law. They all go back to the law in Deuteronomy. And basically, if we would follow the Ten Commandments and the additions that were put on, on that were added on by the apostles, and there's cultural and language addition, issues which made those additions necessary, and then we would be fine. And And the first commandment, Love the, you know, the, the new commandment of the New Testament, because it's not really expressed in the law. It, it is in there once or twice, but it's, it's obscure, is to love thy brother. And, and that's the, the most important commandment. Love yeah. thy brother. Truly, because if you love your brother, you're not going to steal from him, kill him, cheat on him, or, you know, try and steal his oxen. That's true. And I think that's one of the, you know, hardest things for man to do is truly love their neighbor as themselves, their race, or to even love their wives or their husbands as they're supposed to, meaning as themselves, respect them as they would their own body. But a majority of people now, and, you, and we know from Scripture it says in the end times the love of many will wax cold and iniquity and lawlessness will abound. And that's really the era we live in now where anything goes, you know. And if you think about it, it goes all the way back to the garden. And the first lie of the devil, which is in the day you eat of that forbidden fruit, that proverbial fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God's. And so now we sit under this Obama, you know, Barack Obama's regime, and they think that they can justify what is moral. And no matter what happens in the scripture, I've noticed 
When man attempts to redefine morality and justify what is right and wrong outside of God's word, they fail every single time. Because it's up to man to adapt their, their life and their heart, their minds, according to the will of God, not vice versa. And unfortunately, a lot of these pastors are that way. And John Hagee and a lot of these guys are like, oh, yeah, blind obedience to Israel. You've got to give all your money to the Jew. We've got to get the Jew back to Israel, quote-unquote, you know, the litter box in the Middle East. Well, that happened in 1948, and we haven't been blessed in 60 years. Look at what the world has become. And still the majority of the Judeo-Christians sit back, and they're like, oh, this is great. And I think that's because that's what's really in their heart. They're apostate. They have to have, you know, homosexual proclivities to listen to preachers who get up there and say Paul is a liar. And I know you've done great, ex, you know, work on the Paul, the anti-Pauline and the Paul bashers. And a majority of what I found is that people who don't like Paul or women who don't like what Paul says is because, you know, they, they're of the Jezebel spirit. They want to preach. It's always something that Paul taught. And the world loved Paul as long as he was Saul. As long as he was consenting unto the death of the, the apostles, Saul was okay. But as soon as Paul, Saul became Paul and had his conversion on the road to Damascus, suddenly the Jew, the enemies of all men, and the world wanted to kill Paul, you know? And that's really the walk that we walk. A majority of, a majority of these people out there wouldn't even understand what true Christian suffering is because, first and foremost, they're not even Christians, you know? Right, and I, and I appreciate those remarks because, you know, identity has a big problem with Paul bashers. And because Paul bashers aren't even Christians. No, they can't be. They can't be. You know, but it's it's funny to me because you get these, the majority of the New Testament Christians are the same way. The Judeo-Christians go, oh, I don't listen to Paul. I only listen to the four Gospels. And then you start, you know, listening to them and you find out they don't even listen to the four Gospels because almost everything Christ said they cannot do, including that one, you know, love your neighbor as yourself or, you know, bar, lend expecting nothing in return. That's how Christ taught, but it's the way of man to come along, pervert it, and turn it upon its own head. You know, as long as Saul was a Pharisee, teaching, you know, that adulteresses should be stoned while he, you know, was most likely a hypocrite as the rest of the Pharisees. Right, and it's, it, and it's women's lib advocates and homosexual advocates or homosexuality that are the first Paul bashers. And, oh, and most of the Paul bashing, most of the material that the Paul bashers use, almost all of it comes from women's lib the homosexual lobby, and the Jews. Yeah. And my papers prove that. William Fink versus the Paul Bashers proves that. that they, they get it. W.G. Finley was a big South African preacher, a, a white preacher in South Africa. He had the race message right, but he was a Paul Basher. And, and that's because he got his doctrines from Jacqueline Prince, a Jew from, a Jew from New Jersey. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and that's the thing I've noticed, too, is what you guys are doing with the, the two-seed line in the New Testament. I mean, that's great because as far as, you know, I've covered many of several of the Gospels line by line, precept upon precept, at least with the King James Perversion, you know. And I've covered much of Paul's writings, and I've never seen a contradiction from Paul as far as, you know, what most people point out. And so you go to these Methodist churches, if you know, if you're unfortunate, and you, you get drugged into these Methodist churches, and you, they have these women preachers, and you ask them how they reconcile, oh, Paul didn't mean what he meant. Well, if Paul didn't mean what he meant, I mean, the way I look at it is that's an attack on the word itself, which is technically make someone antichrist in the process, because it has to be the word of God. Without the word of God, man's going to attempt to define his own morality time and time again, and he's always going to fail. Because I think it's the way of man to be lifted up in their heart and, and try to do that. So you get these... 
Judeo-Christians who are out in front of, like, San, San Quentin Prison, and they're saying, oh, don't, don't fry Charles Manson, don't fry Susan Atkins, don't kill the murderers, because the Bible says thou shalt not kill. And the only, my only answer to that is they must be ignorant of God's word, because, you know, the word of right. God. And those same people are lined up at the abortion clinics the next morning. Absolutely. The same people are lined up, and, and they say, oh, that's not killing. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. yeah, and I've even noticed that as well, you know, because a lot of people want to justify, say, oh, it's not killing, you know, based on the Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not kill. But there's laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that straightforwardly, you know, address if someone kills the fetus in the womb. So life begins at conception, but the way a man is to say it doesn't and, and justify the murder of, I don't even know how many. But I, I assure you that, you know, God is keeping track of all of this, and he's not pleased with his Israelite bride the way they're acting out, majority of us who are acting out right now and, and attempting to border within that gray area. That's the same group of people who are vomited out of the mouth of God in judgment. They're the same group of people who come to Jesus Christ, to, you know, at the second advent and say, didn't we do marvelous works? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he's going to tell them, depart from me, you're a worker of iniquity or lawlessness. You didn't do the law. And Christ taught that same law, was circumcised according to it. And it's amazing how they, they miss that. They want the blessings, you know. They want to more or less take the kingdom by force by snatching your crown, if, if you think about it. Because they want, to, they want to have the blessings of the covenant, which is, you know, eternal life in the kingdom or a kingdom that's governed according to God's law. And at the same time, they won't acknowledge that there's plagues and curses that come with disobedience just as much as there are blessings that come with obedience. Well, their disobedience and their ignorance is definitely going to be punished. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and, and you can't get anything good. They have no reward in the next life. I mean, they might have, their spirit might have life in the next life, but they have no reward. Exactly. And, and every man's work is work. And that's Every why man's works are fought, tried in the fire. And, and you want something left after the fire burns all the chaff away. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something, that's why I believe Christ taught so much, you know, bless, you know, woe unto ye rich, for ye've received your reward. The reality is, is the majority of these that God gives a reprobate mind to, that's all the reward they get. And it's pretty shameful if you think about it, because a reward in the temporal flesh is not a reward at all, especially when we're supposed to be storing up treasures in heaven through our works, through our obedience, you know. Granted, we're saved by grace, and I don't think anybody would justify, you know, or, or would say that we're not. But again, it was James who taught faith without works is dead. Right, and then, absolutely. And, and we need to, um, obedience is definitely a requirement. The, the Christian wants to do well. It is definitely a, a requirement that we should want to establish the law, that we should want to, even though we're going to fail. There's no doubt that we're not all going to sin in one way or another. But we, the biggest important part is to recognize our failures and know that they're wrong, and, and do our best not to do them again. Exactly. That's the only way we can learn is through our mistakes, you know. And that's the first step of repentance is recognizing your sin. Yeah, that you violated the law of God and offended God. Too many Christians, instead of recognizing their sin, like, like you brought up divorce before. You know, I'm a divorced man, and I was divorced from my first wife in 1987. But I have to preach against divorce and recognize my sin. Sure. And too many people, including identity pastors, want to rather justify their divorce, and that's evil. They're yeah. self-righteous. They're self-justified. 
Absolutely. I've noticed that as well. And you'll be reading along and it'll be 95% truth. And then all of a sudden it'll be something about divorce. And it's like, you know, no one's condemning anybody for divorce. But yeah, divorce is a violation of God's law. It's not the way he originally intended it. And if people would just repent of it, they could go on. But there are cliques within Christian identity. And there's a lot of people who are tortured by their own divorces, you know, for example. And they go on and they'll teach others that divorce is absolutely fine under this particular circumstance. Absolutely. And, and who are the most damned? Those who teach others to break the law. Absolutely. They are the most damned. Yeah. That's why James says there, shan't be, there shouldn't be many teachers because you will receive the greater judgment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I've been pointing out in a lot of my current sermons is that you know, what we do, what I do, or any of these preachers in the movement do, isn't really that special. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of people get lifted up by titles like the Pharisee, I'm pastor, I'm preacher, I'm this organization or not. But what we're doing is like the bare minimum, really, in a lot of ways, of what every man should be doing. Granted, God will raise up pastors and evangelicals, and there's many positions within the body of Christ. But what we do isn't really special because we do suffer a greater damnation if we intentionally mislead. And that's why we have to, you know, bring our words under subjection, because they're going to be brought under subjection and good, in judgment anyway. And Absolutely. Not... But everything you teach, you, you better, I mean, Clifton says it best. He said, he used to say all the time that he, he writes with fear and trembling. Yeah. Because he knows that every word that he puts out there, it better jive with Scripture. Yeah. Or, or he's in trouble. Absolutely. And if you think about it, it was the same way with Paul after his conversion. You know, after Paul stopped being a Pharisee and stopped being Saul, suddenly in his epistles, he started considering himself a slave to Christ or a servant to Christ. Because in my belief, you know, once you accept, you know, and define truth, what Pilate can define, and truth scripturally is defined as the Word of God, John seventeen seventeen, and Jesus Christ is the living Word who said, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Once you define that, there's really no other option for a truth lover or a truth seeker to embrace other than the lie. So a majority of what we do, you know, a lot of us are slaves to what is the truth, you know, and it's not about self-aggrandizing or selling books because a majority, you know, there's, you're never going to be rich in CI, but that's not the goal that drives us. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of these false prophets, they do that. And I think it's, it goes, in a lot of ways, it goes back to the Catholic practice of indulgences because a majority of these people, they go to these churches, they throw a few bucks in the little plate when it comes around, and they feel like they can be a Sunday Christian and sin six days out of the week. And, and they would never even in their lifetime, that's one of the saddest things to me, is there's old women and old men and couples that have gone to church, quote-unquote, for years together and taken their family to these churches and never even really been taught. They take one verse and they'll, they'll, they'll ramble on for an hour about one verse, for example, and at that rate it takes like 400 years to cover the Bible. So they, they intentionally like the Catholic Church in a lot of ways of, of old, want to keep people in the dark ages and keep them from the truth, because the truth, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, or however you want to cut it, is the only thing down here that will set one free. And if you think about it, it's what Christ came. He said, I came to preach an acceptable year of the Lord and to preach deliverance to the captives. So you're either a slave to this world, slave to Satan's kingdom, or you're a slave to Christ. If you think of it in the simplest term, because you're either one or the other. You're either, you know, hot or cold or whatever, but you're either embracing a lie or accepting truth. Absolutely. And, and it's going to take them a lot more than 4,000 years to cover the Bible because 
they cover they cover John three sixteen every other sermon. Yeah, yeah, and if you think about it, we've discussed John three sixteen, you know, and as far as its placement in the manuscripts, but even that verse John three sixteen that they love quoting, you know, you notice the wiles of the devil. All he has to do is come along and change the S to a W, and it has an entirely different meaning. So they say God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whomsoever believeth in him would not perish. When in reality, even in the King James, it says should not perish, meaning that a majority of them who do believe, and a majority of them even that God loved, should not perish, but they will. That doesn't, it's not, it's never a guarantee, and they accept it. And that's the thing I think is our strong point. A majority of these people come at you. All you got to do is open your heart to Jesus. All you got to do is love whatever. Right. Well, Paul Paul defines the 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 belief in Jesus is defined by Paul in one Timothy chapter six as believing every single word that he said. And what did he talk about? Repentance, following the law, doing the right thing, loving your brother. And, and abortion and porno and drunkenness don't fit into those those categories. Absolutely. And Jesus Christ himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And it, and oh, it, right. never, it never ceases to blow my mind how a majority of these people, the Judeo-Christians, yeah, I love Jesus Christ, but at the same time, they won't do a single thing that Jesus Christ did or believe a single thing that Jesus Christ did. They'll take these little buzzwords like the woman taken in adultery. And instead of seeing that Jesus Christ, you know, was being, attempting to being, you know, the Pharisee was attempting to trick Jesus Christ, they don't see that aspect or that he was teaching on hypocrisy. They see Jesus Christ almost as a license to sin. They say, well, Jesus Christ loved the woman taken in adultery, so I'm going to go out and adulterate my race, and Jesus Christ will accept me. But, it, you know, it's like I've said in the past, it always comes back to the individual. It comes back to the people that listen to you and I and, and Eli and whoever else to go back to the Word of God and see if what we're saying is not true, especially, you know, with what you do. Go back to the manuscripts, see what the Greek and the Hebrew say, because that's unchangeable. And no matter if man justifies it and, and translates Pasha as Easter or whatever, to lock a man, another man into, you know, bondage or the tradition of the elders, it still comes back to every single individual, you know, as far as what they accept as truth. And that's why I don't worry so much about, you know, who listens to me or who doesn't, because in reality, the people who are going to listen to me are the people who love the Word of God. Because, you know, or as much as I do anyway. And, a majority and I can't imagine, I can't imagine standing before the judgment seat of Christ and explaining why I changed Passover to Easter yeah. in a Bible translation. Yeah. How do you explain that? How do you explain using a noun as a verb? <laughs> yeah, 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 or even, you know, Ishtar, you know, another one of those Moloch Baal gods. You know, you can almost see how a lot of those mistransliterations are intentional. And, you know, even the King James translators put in their forward to that, that, you know, it wasn't perfect. It was still up to man to go back to it. And now with all these latter-day translations, and like Eli was pointing out, the gender-neutral NIV, they're revising that one again to make it even more pro-homosexual. Which... Which is even, that is just plain evil. Yeah. Because the word is a lot clearer when you distinguish gender quite often in Scripture. Yeah. And, and I'd like to give an example. You know where the woman finds a coin and, and she invites all her friends and, and relatives over? Yeah. The words that Christ uses are feminine. Oh. And in, in Greek, that fully conveys the thought that all of her friends are women. And in Greek culture, a woman did not speak under normal conditions to a man 
who was not of her kin. Yeah. And and that's why the apostles, when they saw Christ speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, they marveled. Because yeah. it wasn't normal back then for for a man to be speaking to a strange woman. Yeah. It was not considered normal. And and a strange a woman certainly would not have invited male friends over. But a lot of women say to their husbands today, oh, I could have guy friends, <laughs> and I'm not going to screw around on you. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that there are women that don't, but usually there are women that do. Yeah. And that's just a, a natural outcome of that. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe that when Jesus Christ said uh, the kingdom of heaven can be equated to a woman who took a measure of leaven and worked it into, a you know, the dough, more or less, he was using the feminine, feminine, the feminine there as well more or less equating the kingdom of heaven to a woman, which is kind of unheard of as well, you know. Because, again, God is omnipotent. Right, well, well, yeah, right, but it's it's very important to keep the gender in it and, and all of the other little idiosyncrasies into the translation. Yeah. And it yeah. violates the word of God to, to drop those things. Yeah, that's what I was going to say in Revelation, that they add to or take away, and that's one of, I think, Satan's M.O.s. If you look at his tempting, quote-unquote, of Jesus Christ in the wilderness. It was always perverting one word here or, or taking this out of context. And, you know, Christ would turn around and say, don't tempt the Lord your God. And so a majority of these false prophets who are out there who just so flippantly teach the tradition of the elders as opposed to the, the unadulterated word of God, you know, they're doing the same exact thing. They're lifted up in their own heart. They're teaching for precepts the doctrines of men, and the precept, those doctrines of men are exactly what makes null the word of God. And that's why when we come along and say, you know, Jesus Christ taught the law. He said that you're to follow the law, that transgression is a sin, you know, as a violation of that law. The world sees us as fanatical. They see us as the exact opposite. They see us as Pharisees, when in reality the Pharisee was a hypocrite. They were the killer. They killed Jesus Christ. And all the while they were professing to teach Ten Commandments and say, thou shalt not kill. It's kind of ironic. Absolutely. It, it's, I don't know, the whole Judeo church is hypocritical. Yeah. And, and and the Catholic Church was hypocritical for many years. And and the reformers they tried to reform and and Christianity and they didn't go far enough. They definitely didn't go far but I mean they did better than the Catholics of their time were doing, but they didn't go far enough. And in some places they failed. And I demonstrated today how the New England Protestants justified they began suddenly to justify usury in sixteen ninety nine. Yeah, and, and that's just crazy. And, yeah. and that every little step like that has gotten to where us to where we are today. Exactly, and that's what I was going to say. I suppose I should I should you know more or less justify my statement as well. Is there's a big difference between Vatican One Catholics and Vatican Two Catholics, you know? And it's the whole you know there is a big difference. So I'm not bashing on Catholics per se because I've got I've actually got a lot of Catholics that listen to me and they're you know they're familiar with the Anglo-Israel message. And, you know, they're well aware that the Jew is a scourge, or they're well aware of, of Revelation 2.9 and 3.9, the imposter Judeans, who say they are Jews or not. And the other something I pointed out this week as well, you know, as far as hypocrites, because the Church of Smyrna and the Church of Philadelphia were the only two churches that technically held the, the key of David, quote-unquote. They knew who they were. They knew that they were the covenant keepers. But at the same time, the Church of Ephesus did not. But... The Church of Ephesus was able to to spot and acknowledge and mark the hypocrites, the false prophets, and the lawless within their own ranks, if you go back and read the beginning of Revelation 2. So even though the Church of Ephesus was able to spot the false brethren and spot false teachings 
in the end, they didn't make it in in judgment because they weren't able to spot the false Judeans who were of the synagogue of Satan. Right, and that and that was actually leaving their first love. Leaving their first love, and, exactly. And Paul of Tarsus founded that that church, and that's clear in 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 the gospel. Yeah, I'm sorry, in the book of Acts, Paul of Tarsus founded the church of Ephesus, and he, the Christianity that he brought them, the gospel that he brought them, had to be their first love. And I I just had to mention that since you mentioned the church at Ephesus. Yeah, sure. That that um you know Paul Yahshua Christ therefore, you know, um corroborates the ministry of Paul of Tarsus. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. If you think about it, a lot of people I've noticed as well. You know, they'll they'll come along and they'll be like, "Well, you actually believe that uh, the Book of Revelation was spoken by Jesus?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I believe the whole word was." But it's amazing because the first sentence in the book of Revelation says this is the, you know, the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the living word. Right. John only wrote it down. Yeah, he, he, he did. Describe. Mm-hmm. And in the Red Letter Bibles, you know, it's right there and it's written out. So it is Jesus Christ who's saying, you know, outside the gate and, and you know, that's his testimony. Absolutely. And so he gives Paul that credence, you know, and so the whole Paul, Paul bashers and the anti-Pauline crowd I have no idea where they fit in because, you know, Christian identity is sola scriptura. And that's the difference between us and these these people who follow the uh, traditions of men. As we go back to the Word of God, and if the Word of God says something that man is saying, well, we'll mark that man as a false prophet nine times out of ten. But, yeah, it's amazing how that is because that's again, is another essential step as far as CI is concerned, I believe, is waking people up to their you know, knowing, A, there's tares sown in amongst the wheat, and B, they're the keepers of the covenant, and, and that there is obedience and duty that's required of them. People say the term Christian soldier, and they don't realize that the term soldier encompasses dying in warfare or killing sometimes in warfare on a spiritual level, if you want to say. But there is duty required of a soldier. So a majority of these people just say, yeah, I'm Christian, and that's good enough for them. And then they turn on the X-Files, and they allow their mind to be perverted with whatever it is. And again, it's like it's ironic how you can directly link our apostasy and our falling away with, with all these distractions, movies, video games, books, and magazines that the enemy gives us to where it was 50 years ago or even 100 years ago when people mostly lived without electricity or running water and all they had was their family Bible. Before they started keeping tabs on us and giving people social security numbers, the Bible was their birth, death, and marriage records. Absolutely. It was the center of the Christian home, you know, and there was virtually no crime. And we were virtually blessed. Even, like, you know, earlier they were discussing Hitler. And a lot of people don't mention that, you know, during World War II, during the Great Depression, where the rest of the world was in complete chaos like we are now almost, Germany was a, a superpower. There was a job for every German. They had no usury. They expelled people, and they were flourishing. And that's what I believe led the enemy to, to move against the true Judeans. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the Jews wanted to destroy Germany because they would not have a Jewish-controlled central bank. That's the only thing it boils down to. And it's the same thing with Tsarist Russia. It's the same thing with Kaiser Wilhelm's Germany. He wouldn't have a Jewish-controlled central bank, and the Jews destroyed him for it. That's why World War I was fought. And these people that claim to be great investigators of the truth, and they don't know these things, they're just false prophets. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely.
somebody because, again, knowledge is increasing, and there's simply no excuse. I mean, we have that, and that's the beauty of CI. Again, is you know, nine times out of ten, I shock people because when I'm proving to them the Jews aren't God's chosen, I'll revert many times to Jewish quotes, like I'm sure many of us do, you know. And when you quote it to them from their own mouth that they are descendants of Esau, Edom, that you know what the Pharisees taught was the tradition of the elders, and eventually became the Talmud it becomes harder for them to argue against it because if they believe the Jews are God's chosen, the Jews can never lie. Well, obviously, they either lied saying they were or they lied saying they weren't. And that, I think, is the greatest conspiracy of all, which goes back to Revelation 2.9 and 3.9, is that, you know, understanding the man of sin, the son of perdition, you know, is the greatest imposter and hypocrite of all. He's the one who's lawless, but at the same time, he's the one who's claiming to be something that he's not. And that's more or less what we war against. Well, absolutely. If Christians believed their Bibles, they would know that when a Jew is running his mouth, he's lying. Yeah. When a Jew's lips are moving, he's lying. Period. I don't care how much truth might fall out. There's lies in between. And we're not going to eat brownies when the recipe has a little bit of horse dung in it. <laughs> so we're going to throw out the whole brownie. That's the way it is. That's true. And it only takes a little bit of rat poison, you know. And I think the rat poison's 95% cornmeal, they say. It's that 5% that gets them. And it really is because, you know, you see how these doctrines get injected. And it's, you know, they're the self-justifying doctrines. And people take them and they run with them, like rapture doctrine. Oh, that's easy for them, I guess. They believe they don't have to worry about anything. But studying it out through Second Thessalonians and the writings of Paul and studying it out through the Scripture, you see that the only rapture is of the wicked and the terrors are taken first and burned. And, and that's one of the rewards, actually, of those who did live righteous and did live according to God's moral law down here is they're able to see that. And so they rob even, you know, even God's chosen people, which are the Christians or whosoever hears Jesus and follows Jesus as king, they rob them of even that reward. So it's like basically flesh religion, in my opinion, because they follow the flesh, and the only justifications they have are here in the flesh. And I think Paul even mentions that in Galatians, where he talks about they'll teach you to circumcise, but they themselves don't keep the law. And that's one of the greatest conspiracies of all, is when you find out that the imposter tears out there, profess to follow the law, but in reality it's only 5% of the orthodox who do. Then you realize where people like Judge Judy and Adam Sandler and Neil Diamond come from. These are non-practicing Jews, but they're still, you know, of the synagogue of Satan. And to me, there's nothing sadder than, you know, to removing people of the, from their covenant, because that covenant is the very promise of God. And all God, if you think about it, all God ever wanted was for man to lean not to their own understanding, but to obey him. That's why he told Adam, you can have everything. The entire world is yours, save this tree, my tree. And that's the tree that Adam went because, you know, rebellion's hardwired in us. And that's why I think repentance, that's why I think repentance is so important. Because, if you know, a lot of these preachers aren't preaching on repentance, and in essence, they make the sacrifice of Jesus Christ null and void. Because they don't even understand what he died for, or, you know, what was nailed to the cross. They come along and say, oh, Jesus Christ freed us from the law, when Jesus Christ said, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. At the same time, you know, when we understand he's the Alpha, the Omega, the Greek letters, that's another confirmation that he's the living word in the, you know, the word that was in the beginning, John 1.1, 1, 1, and the word that was made flesh in John 1.14. You know, so there is no contradictions with it within any of it. But, you know, 
it's sad how a majority of these people believe that God of the Old Testament was an evil demi-merge who was intolerant and this and that, and Jesus Christ told God that he was wrong and this and that. And it has to come from their own heart because it's obviously, as a religion, only about 70 years old, since the late 40s when they invented this Judeo-Christianity nonsense. Right, I think the word first appeared in the 30s. And, and you know, it took 20 years to catch on. Yeah. Maybe 30. I don't... I don't remember the word from the 60s. I mean, from, I remember it from maybe when I was in high school hearing it, but I don't remember it from grade school. When I went to a Catholic grade school for eight years, the, um, you know, the catch-22 with, with our situation is this. You can't – if people were absolutely ignorant of their identity and followed the law, they would be blessed. True. You know, I mean, you could have sinners that know all about Christian identity, two seed line, a hardcore all the way, and and they're never going to be blessed because they won't stop their immorality. Absolutely. And and if people were absolutely oblivious to who they were, and 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 they followed the precepts of the law without knowing it, because it is written in our hearts, and many of our people have done that for many centuries, and they were blessed. I mean, this nation was built on a bunch of people. Uh, that were Saxons that were blind to their true identity as the descendants, the actual physical descendants of Jacob, but they were blessed for their goodness. Absolutely. And, and because most of them were, were good, fine, moral people that, that read the, the Old Testament, and, and generations of, of youths grew up learning to read only from the Bible. Absolutely. And, and, and that has to have an effect on the consciousness. That that has to make you a good person. I'm sorry. That that. You know, as long as you're uh, the fruit of the good tree, when you hear the word, you're a good person. And that's, you know, but in order to get people to be obedient today, to, to because Judeo-Christianity has them so screwed up about the law being done away with and the Old Testament not counting anymore, in order to get people to be obedient today and explain to them why they should be, first you have to beat them in the head. With with the identity doctrine and the fact that the Jews have deceived them, absolutely. And, and it's hard to do one without the other. I don't know how to do one. I'm, maybe I'm just an inferior man. I, I, <laughs> no, I, I no. can't figure out how to do one without the other. Yeah, yeah. And you would think it would be written on the hearts of most of these Judeo Christians that God is not going to be upset with you for trying to follow His law. You know, they go against the law because they're so antinomian or anti-Paul. It's like. Okay, if the Jews are God's chosen, you know, like they believe, then why aren't they doing everything they can do to be chosen of God as well? At the same time, these people act like the law is the offense and go out and use it as a justification to sin. Well, Christ came, you know. Exactly, exactly. And and they won't put their sin away because they're convinced that they don't have to follow the law. And they they really don't want it. I mean, sin feels good, let's face it. Mm -hmm. And I pointed that out in one of my past sermons as well. If you consider that Satan was initially, in his, in his original state, the anointed cherub that covereth, then you understand that he was one of the angels that was on top of the very Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat, and he also believed he was above the law. That's also what caused him to raise up and believe he was wiser than God and, and the desire to be God. And so you can really kind of see where the spiritual influence down here in Satan's kingdom comes from, and from the Judeo-Christian pulpit. Because they, they, they're so much wiser than the law, and they can judge their own brother or judge the law at the same time, you know. 
And it's not up to us to necessarily judge, per se. It's up to us to just tell the truth whether the world likes it or not. And ironically, the world's eventually, this, this world of lies that we live in, you know, a lot of us, and I believe in the future, if the Lord should tarry, we're going to be martyrs. There's plenty of us. You know, we can talk about Ricky. I mean, we can talk about Randy Weaver and Vicky Weaver. We can talk about a lot of these. But there's, that's why I'm looking forward to the day that Jesus Christ returns at the second advent with his garment dipped in the blood of the saints. Because that's the day we cash our chips in. A majority of these Judeo-Christians out there fear Judgment Day. They're like, oh, my God. And they should be afraid of Judgment Day because of the moral lives the majority of them have lived. But I think most of us who are, you know, tried and true or consider ourselves electors, the doc, who have followed the word of God, we have the blessed assurance, which comes back to the importance of the word of God and why Christ would say that man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Because man's not going to truly live anyway down here on earth unless it is according to the, to the word of God. And it's the only way that we can prove to God, and such a simple way to prove to God, that we love him is just to do what he says, just like Christ said. You know, absolutely, you, you and the control, the control that Satan has over the world is absolutely ter- temporary. Absolutely. It's not going to last forever. I mean, Satan thinks it's going to last forever. The Jews think they're their own Messiah. They are God as far as they're concerned. Absolute, yeah, pure atheism. It's self-worship, flesh worship, which is exactly what Judeo-Christianity has turned into today. You know, because I believe also, you know, where it talks about in Scripture, you know, let him who hath understanding count the number of the beast, 666, or the six seal, six trump, six vial, what have you. At the same time, it's a human number, but the devil knows his time is short. And that's the year I think we're living in now. The devil's so blatant with their ad campaigns, with targeting your children, with jacking them with inoculations, vaccines, controlling every single aspect of their education. Even if you homeschool or home, home birthing is... is technically considered illegal in America, most parts of America, not illegal, but it's frowned upon. And homeschooling, even if you do that, the government's got their control in it. You know, they're so worried. And I think in a lot of ways, if we're homeschooling our children, the best thing we can do is tell them the truth and at the same time tell them the official answer. This is what the world's going to believe. Of course the world's going to believe Jesus is a Jew. You've got to know the lie to be able to teach them the truth at the same time. And so, you know, I think there's a thin line that we have to have to walk sometimes when it comes to, you know, protolizing to other people and opening their eyes to their birthright. Because they should be contending for that birthright. And if they're not, if they're sitting back in this year, 2009, in complacency, and, you know, while the world is crumbling around them, while 300-some-odd white women are being raped in this country per day by Negro savages, while, you know, Obama's talking about his health care reform, which, again, is going to be a burden on the, on the backs of the white American worker, then most of them are reprobate in the first place. That's the world they envisioned. And I have never in my life seen a single hippie, a lot of these people in the late 60s that were fighting for civil rights and fighting, you know, this is supposed to be like right now, September is the 40th year anniversary of Woodstock. And the world is relishing in the debauchery of taking brown acid and having orgies or whatever, whatever they did in the late 60s, adulterating and race mixing. And they never once mentioned the effect of the, that that has had on our society. Why we live in a world now where all our doors are locked. Why we have to, you know, worry about our children being raped or maimed in the public schools or shot on their way to the bus stop or whatever. It's a sad world that man has created for himself down here and they've created this world again through their disobedience, through their inability to repent. And if we would have repent, you know, we should be repenting for our own errors, but most assuredly for the errors of our forefathers. And if we can't even repent through that, 
we should at least be able to recognize and go back through Scripture and understand that even in the days of Ezra, Nehemiah, and so forth, the children of Israel always went into apostasy the further they got away from the Word of God and the more comfortable they were. But every time they came back into the good graces of Yahweh God, it's when they find the book, they find the law, they adapt themselves, or they'll put away their strange wives and put away their strange children. And we have to keep the message up because of that. And, Absolutely. and all of the revolutions, so-called revolutions, the social revolutions, from the civil rights revolutions in the 50s all the way up through the, the feminist revolutions in the, in the 70s, they were all Jew-orchestrated. Absolutely. They were all planned operated, and, and run by Jews, no doubt. And yeah. Jews pay credit for them. Yeah, yeah, like Erica Jong and the whole feminist movement. And, exactly. And now and, that, and then now we see the, the, the fruits of that, you know, and that's why I think Christ always reverted back to that, to judge a person according to their fruits, not what they say, because that's the only way you'll be able to spot the tears, because the majority of the people out there, even the people who aren't Christian, will say, yeah, I'm Christian, I follow the word of God. But they don't, you know, and that's where our responsibility comes from. And, you know, if their heart's not inclined to please God, they're not going to really please God in any way, shape, or form anyway. So now we live in a society where, you know, it goes back to Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. They do exist out there for our young men, you know. They're out there, but they're rare like rubies and they're hard to find you know and that's another point where i believe fellowship is such a strong point in christian identity is there's a thin line you know we have to know there's agent provocateurs we have to know there's said informants out there like hal turner and so forth but at the same time we can't cut ourselves off from fellowship because i would want nothing more for my daughters than for them to marry someone within christian identity do you know what i mean well of course i'd love to find a, a new wife that was Christian identity, but it, it ain't never going to happen in New York. That's just a <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I believe that. New York, yeah. See, I grew up in L.A. and, and you know, and mostly in Hollywood. And so I, I know a lot about the inner workings of how, you know, the Screen Actors Guild and a lot of Hollywood media works. And anybody out there in the middle of America who believes there's anything virtuous in Tinseltown is severely mistaken. Because I lived right on the Hollywood Strip. I went to Hollywood High School. And they did never saw the seedy side of Hollywood, which I'm sure you see, like in in New York, you know, of women who go to L.A. and believe they're going to be a movie star because that's what the media portrays, and in reality, they end up homeless or porno stars because they're hungry and desolate, or you know, the drugs, the rampant use, and, and everything. And you know, of course, the enemy's got media; they've got money and all of that. They play both sides of the fence, the fence, and they stack the deck so you 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 know they win one way or another. It's like a lot of these laws that man imposes, like Eli was talking about. Yeah, you know, it's the way of man to come along and say, you know what, if you do this in your house or if if you're found like guilty of running a militia, we're going to seize your assets, we're going to take your home, we're going to take your cars, you know. And because that's profit that puts money in their pocket and it puts man out on, on desolation. And you know as well as I do, being in prison. That the way man's system is designed, for the most part, at least according to my own opinion, is to create the criminal. They come out of jail and they have no other options because they've been in jail so long. Or they get out of jail on a bond or a probation and they don't have a job. They have no way of paying these high fees. A majority of them will revert back into something, or if they weren't even involved in criminal activity, will start engaging in criminal activity because it's good for the enemy. And the enemy then can make money on you in the probation racket, or he can make money on you through through land seizures, or he can make money on you one way or another through the pharmacia. 
And again, that's something I think that we should repent of as, you know, as a whole, as a race, is a majority of us, you know, a lot of our people have put faith in the pharmacia instead of God, who's the divine healer. And, you know, if you're putting your faith in a doctor who has a vested interest in sickness and illness and keeping you ill, then, you know, they really shouldn't be surprised that they're going to be ill and they're going to be sick by the, the venom they inject them with. But at the same time, you know, it's like, what do they expect? If they're not turning to God in all things, they're turning to man, that's faithlessness. And they're turning away from it. Okay, man saved me. Well, man, I'm not saying surgery's bad. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying you've got to go to Yahweh first, you know. And that's, right, that's leaving cool. the first love. And, and I believe there's a place for doctors. I mean, if I broke a leg, I'd want it set. Absolutely. If, if I cut myself, I'd want stitches. But I don't want to end up on, on 20 bottles of medication. That That's totally ungodly. Absolutely. And, and I put out a couple of papers on that um, last week. And and an odd, a very odd um, coincidence in the Greek language is that that word pharmakon was also used of someone who sacrificed themselves, someone who was sacrificed for others. Oh, wow. I see. And and I, I included that in the paper, but it's kind of buried at the bottom. But I, I explain that, and that's the way a lot of Greek poets happen to use that same word, and and Yahshua Christ is our pharmacon. Yeah. He is our sacrifice. And I think that's another one of the MOs of Satan as well, and Satan's children, is they work overtime to more or less, you know, physically sicken somebody. Because if they can, you know, make somebody physically sick, at the same time they'll become spiritually sick. So they, they get our people eating all the swine, which clouds their memory. They get them jacking themselves with mercury-based vaccines or whatever it is. And, and it's not only that. That's the extreme stuff, but the everyday stuff. High fructose corn syrup yeah. is in everything. I'm, I was looking at the ingredients for a loaf of bread, and it had high fructose corn syrup in it. Wow. And I'm thinking, we baked bread for 10,000 years. We didn't <laughs> use high fructose corn syrup in it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that statement even goes back to a lot of things I was saying earlier. If you think about it, Jesus Christ was born in a barn. He was born in a manger, to, probably with a midwife. And, and it's the way of man to come along. Now we live in this year of 2009 where we've been having hospital births probably about 50, 60 years, like we have been. Now they look at the average woman who's going to have a home birth. Oh, my God. Why would you right. do that? And, and, you know, I watched all six of my children get born. And yeah, me as well. <laughs> I mean, the drug thing—that's not good. And and and, but I I give women a lot of credit. But epidurals are not natural. I mean, yeah, it's just not supposed to be. And if you think about it, if you have a child in the hospital in this day and age, you can pretty much turn away. At least supposedly, you can still turn away a lot of the vaccines. But the one you cannot turn away is the prick on the foot, and it goes all the way back, in my opinion, to Genesis three fifteen. The original curse, bruise your head, it shall prick your heel. Because it's almost like the enemy adding insult to injury for every child that is born in this country. You know, if you're in a college or a liberal arts college like I was unfortunately had to go to, you know, as soon as your wife becomes pregnant, they refer you to Planned Parenthood. And, you know, I don't even, I couldn't even fathom the millions of dollars they make in abortion and infanticide. That's That's the world's answer. That's what they teach our daughters when they go to public school is promiscuity. And birth control as a form of, of, I mean, abortion as a form of birth control. That's the works of the devil, and the devil wears Armani suits. <laughs> Indeed. 
indeed. And that's another aspect I think a majority of the world has failed on. Because they'll, you know, they'll go and say, oh, yeah, well, you literally believe in the devil. You believe in, not, believe in a scriptural, you know, inter- teaching of the devil. But a majority of the world is out there and believes in the red, po- red-suited, pitchfork devil. And if Satan was truly an ugly thing, then sin wouldn't be enticing. And I and sincerely it, believe that a lot of the no-Satan people who claim to be identity, that's the devil that they're chasing. That's the devil they're denying is the Catholic devil. But Satan is those the adversary. Uh-huh. It's collectively those who are opposed to Christ. Amen. Dan. And that's the Jews. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the Jews are the start of it. Don't get me wrong. There's more than that. But they're the start of it. And anybody that denies Christ becomes part of that Satan. Yeah. Antichrist. Absolutely. And I've noticed amongst the no-devil crowds, the majority of them are the people like when I completed my book, Sataniel, you know, and Eli wrote the introduction to that. And I, when it was completed, it took, a, it took a long while. But once it was published, I sent it to everyone who ordered it. And I actually had quite a few of them send it back to me, and they're like, I don't even want to read it. And I'm like, well, okay. And so I would send the book to their local library so they would stock it on the shelf because that's all I could do. But I started thinking about that. I'm like, you know, I think that's one thing that the dual seed liners have over the single seed liners is that we listen to pretty much everybody and can come to our own conclusion where a lot of the single seed liners will subjugate themselves off into their own little cliques and they don't want to be burdened with facts. You know, so, I mean, I heard Dave Barley on one of his current sermons going on and on about how I'm the devil. He kept saying, I'm the devil. When I look in the mirror, I see the devil. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, okay, you're not lying. You're I would agree with him. I agree I with him. I agree with him. Absolutely. I don't see the devil when I look in the mirror. I see flesh man. But, I you see know, the devil when I look at Dave Barley. I don't even know what he looks like. <laughs> exactly. If they can get you to accept the trite that you're the devil, well, the devil already wins. What can you, I mean... You have no control over your flesh, and again, it was Paul who taught us to bring our flesh under subjection. So the feminist comes along and says, Paul was a whoremonger, and yet Paul taught to, you know, wasn't married, and Paul taught, you know, several things that were, couldn't even be conceived as whoremongers. But that's the spirit that's within them, I think. You know, it just comes out as that. They attack Paul, they attack the scripture, because it's the scripture itself that condemns them. And no matter how much they attack you know, people like us for teaching it, or the word itself, and try to bastardize it and change it. The word of God is true, and every man's a liar. Every man is still going to be judged according to the word of God in judgment, and every one of their works, even their thoughts, will be held captive. And a lot of people miss that, too, that Christ strengthened certain laws. Christ said that if you look on a woman to lust after her, it's the same thing as adultery. You know, and a majority of the world now is just like, they don't even see it. They watch television and they see it all the time and they don't even realize that they're living in a walking, talking contradiction of the law. And so now, probably at any other point in history, it's probably harder to follow the law at least as closely as we should. Television, to me, every time I look at it, I just get sick. Yeah. I can't even watch it. it to me, television is the mind of the Jew being displayed before the world. Absolutely. There's no doubt. Every sick, sick fantasy that these Jews in in Hollywood have are manifest every day on that television. Absolutely. Look at this new movie, Inglorious Bastards. Just like Brokeback Mountain, you know, it's more or less bombing at the box office, but it doesn't stop the Jew from going on and on saying it's a masterpiece. It's the greatest film, and all it is is a Jewish revenge flick. And it pours right out of their, you know, their conscious. And through that, they're able to defile our women and our daughters. And our daughters Absolutely. are watching. 
MTV and they think it's cool to now, you know, adulterate their race or whatever it is. And that's, that's a sad thing because, like, I didn't watch television for 10 years, like from, like, 95 to 2005. And when I finally got back around to having a television and turn it back on, I was able to see after more or less a decade how much worse it was. Right off the bat, everything was race mixing. Every You know, the white man is gone. And if the white man is portrayed on any, you know, type of television, it's the Al Bundy type who's inept and, you know, is worthy of being cheated on. And this is how the enemy, in a lot of ways, has infiltrated our minds, even at a subconscious level. Because, right. again, it was Christ who taught, you know, what what goes in comes out. And what's in the heart of man is what comes out of his mouth. And so we Absolutely. should be able to judge when you them. you keep pumping crap into your throat, into your mind, because what you read and what you watch is basically you're eating that. It's becoming a part of you. If you watch, um, I don't know any sitcoms. I haven't watched television. I'm being honest with you. I haven't watched television shows in over 20 years. Nice. And the last movie I saw was Braveheart. Oh, wow. And, and that's a long time ago. <laughs> and and I don't have any care at all to return to any of that. Sure. And, and um, I, I'm gonna, I listen to some headbanging rock and roll. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not totally cut off from 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 and anything like that. But but yeah, the last movie I um I watched was Braveheart, and and the um I have no care to return to that because I just picture those people taking a bucket of dung and pouring it into the tops of their brains. That's yeah. television. That that's Hollywood. You and if you sit back in that. You count it and you watch it, you know. I mean, I'm amazed that in an hour in an hour time slot, there's probably literally 200 ad campaigns for race mixing, adultery, uh, definitely Viagra, you know, all sorts of, you know, sex drugs, whatever it is. And people are never going to repent when they're hooked on that crap. Because no. they think that that is the norm. It is the norm if you're in Jew heaven, and, and they think that's normal behavior, and that's the way they're raised. It's yeah. just crazy. Absolutely. And okay. that's that's why it always comes back to, you know, repentance, first and foremost. We've got to repent of these things. And even even we should we should also take time to repent of our unknown sins, sins that we may not even be know that we've committed because, you know, it's all about pleasing Yahweh. It's the only thing we can do. There's no way that we're going to achieve it through voting. There's no way we're going to achieve it through, you know, necessarily picking up arms and violent revolution. The only and all way... that stuff is love of the world and love of the flesh. Yeah. All that <laughs> stuff. Okay, gentlemen, uh, guess what? What's up? We're near the end of the oh. 12-hour marathon. <laughs> well, you guys we could have another so hour. I, I mean, we had a good conversation. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I wanted to uh, finish with a quote from uh, the Gospel of James. The Epistle of James, okay, chapter 4. And, and I think um, one of the, the best compliments that I've ever received uh, concerning the Christian identity message is that we, in spite of the fact, you know, that, that we talk about the Jews and how evil they are and how they have impacted our lives in a negative manner, uh, the compliment is that we never give up on our own culpability and our own, you know, the crimes we have ourselves committed and the responsibility that we must take for our own sins, okay? And we in identity do not uh, give up on that message. And that's what repentance is all about, is acknowledging the fact that we have sinned 
and that we must repent of our sins and, and vow to do right, okay? And James chapter 4 just really expre- expresses it so well. From where come wars and fightings among you? Come they not here even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? But he gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Indeed, he will flee from you. Yes, the devil will flee from you. But it starts with that humility that, uh, you know, you, you have made mistakes, and you accept responsibility for the mistakes you've made. And stop, you know, we don't blame the devil. No. No, and we've been accused of doing that because we believe in the devil. No, we don't blame the devil. The the devil's just the the product of our sin. Okay, if if Israel had never rebelled in the first place, the Jews wouldn't have happened. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) The Jews wouldn't have happened. It's our fault. And if we uh, you know accept responsibility for that then uh, we make changes accordingly. But so many of these Judeo-Christians go around saying, I'm blameless. I never did anything wrong. So you can't, don't blame it on me. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's vanity. That's vanity. You know, because these people are sinning all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just don't want to admit it. Uh, so, gentlemen, um, I, I thank you for your participation today. I just want to do a quick prayer. For our people, Israel, Yahweh, in the name of your son, Yahshua, we give ourselves to you. And we have staged this 12-hour marathon in your name, in the name of your son, Yahshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, and in the name of your people, Israel, we are here to serve you. You have redeemed us for yourself. You have purchased us with your own blood and we can, we will never forget it, unlike the Judeo-Christians who seem not to be interested in what you did for us. We, on the other hand, we in Christian identity, will never forget what you did for us and the pain and torture and suffering that you suffered on our behalf. We will never forget you for this, and therefore we are committed to you and your gospel, your truth, and your word. Praise Yahweh. Amen. Amen. Okay. So thank you, gentlemen, for putting on a, a great discussion. Uh, I wanted to butt in several times, but I had to restrain myself. <laughs> and so I'm looking forward to doing this again next year on 10-10-10. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I certainly hope that more and more true Israelites will come aboard because you know as well as I do, gentlemen, that Yahweh is going to keep the pressure on our people and he's going to keep depriving them of, of the goodies and the perks of life because what's more important than, uh, you know, materialism 
is Yahweh. And, you know, who is your creator? You know, your creator is not the, uh, the goodies that are, are put on your, uh, you know, on your mantle or on your television set, etc., etc. Life is Yahweh. And until our people appreciate Yahweh as their creator, uh, they will not appreciate life. So uh, I thank you again for being part of this marathon. Uh, I, I hope uh, that uh, more and more Israelites are attracted to this message as time goes on, because I know for sure Yahweh is going to put, put their backs up against the wall until there's nothing else left but repentance. Okay? So, so thank you both, uh, Bill and Jeremy, for uh, you know talking about this subject of repentance. It's extremely important for our people to repent and acknowledge their sins. Because until we acknowledge our sins, we are simply still lost. We're still lost. Okay? Thank you, and and thank you, Pastor Visser. And and I really do hope that you um, choose not to retire fully, that that you, um, you know, stick around, because I think that you're you're a valued member of our community. Thank Uh, you. Absolutely. Praise Yahweh. Okay? All right. Thank you all for listening. I I, I don't know how many of you went went through the entire 12 hours, but... uh, (laughs) Some of you did, I'm sure. I know they did, yeah. And and thanks for uh, doing that. And um, whatever, I'm sure there's a lot of penance done today. (laughs) And and we look forward to uh, doing this again next year and possibly, uh, as uh, Bill and I talked about, possibly doing a a Feast of Tabernacles Bible study. We we should even, I mean, it doesn't have to be 12 hours. No, 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 just one hour a night every day uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles. Yeah, that might work too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm up for that. Okay, I mean, great. Sitting right uh, yeah, and Jeremy, yeah, please stick around. You can join us for that too. Okay. Okay. Glad all right. Me. Praise Yahweh. Yahweh bless everybody, and thank you all very much. Yahweh bless. Yahweh. Great job. Bye-bye.